My name is John Ray. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Church uh, in charge of the teaching team. And I'd like to welcome you here this morning on this Labor Day weekend, otherwise known as my anniversary weekend. Uh, Jane and I actually got married on Labor Day, so um, I usually forget it because there are other things going on. But I remembered, I remembered this year. That's good. And uh, thanks to everybody who's listening on the podcast as, uh, as you're doing that. We're really glad that you're uh, choosing to, to participate by listening. You know, I didn't grow up in a church that talked much about calling. And if it did, it was always in the context for the super spiritual or the vocational ministers or missionaries. It was kind of this set-apart, holy name, holy word that was, you know, unfit for popular consumption with that. That changed when I joined a mission organization where it seemed like all of a sudden that's all they talked about was calling. Like everything was due to a calling. It didn't matter what you were doing, it was because you were called to do it. Whatever decision you made, whatever um, affection that you had, whatever you wanted to do, it was all because you were being called to do it. And as a result, um, I kind of came to despise the word. Well, not kind of, I came to totally despise the word. I just didn't, I didn't like it. I'd seen it misused so much that I purged it from my vocabulary. And then as soon as I got around people who were using the word called, and I noticed they were using it a lot, I purged them from my circle. I didn't want to be around people who used it, not only not use it myself. The problem with that is that you can't read the Bible and not come across it. It's littered liberally throughout the text, and it is key to understanding our text today. So this week, as we finish up this look deep into 2 Peter verse 1, let's pray that we can come to a fresh and accurate understanding of what it means to be called and where that leads. Pray with me. Jesus, you've gathered us here all ages from all over this area, all with radically different understandings of what this whole thing church means. And Jesus, so much of who we are and where we're going, so much of our everyday life, as well as our life here among the community of believers, is formed by this idea of what it means to be called. And Jesus, I ask you that you forgive me as I have rejected this in many ways because of what I viewed as misuse. And that you would teach all of us, myself primarily, really what this means, how it affects us and where it takes us. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the three previous weeks or participate, I I encourage you to go back on the podcast, starting with Norma's uh, teaching on imagination, and then as it led, because it will will really help frame and inform what we're going to talk about today. We're going to read the text through. Now, we've been using the message up until this point. We've gone back to a different version, the net version here, uh, and listen to it one more time as we read through. Listen to the rhythm of it. Listen to the logic of it. Listen to the progression of it. And then we'll, make, we'll ask some questions and make a few points. Starting in verse 1, or verse, uh, yes, verse 1 from Simon Peter, uh, or from Peter writing in his letter. He says, From Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have been granted a faith just as precious as ours. May grace and peace be lavished on you as you grow in the rich knowledge of God and and of Jesus our Lord. I can pray this because His divine power has bestowed on us everything necessary for life and godliness through the rich knowledge of the One who called us by His own glory and excellence. Through these things He has bestowed on on us His precious and most magnificent promises, So that by means of what was promised, you may become partakers of the divine nature after escaping the worldly corruption that is produced by evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith excellence, to excellence knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly affection, to brotherly affection unselfish love. For if these things are really yours and are continually increasing, they will keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive in your pursuit of knowing our Lord Jesus Christ more intimately. But concerning the one who lacks such things, he is blind. That is to say, he is nearsighted since he has forgotten about the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to be sure of your calling and election. For by doing this, you will never stumble into sin. For thus an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided to you, for you. Therefore, I intend to remind you constantly of these things, even though you know them and are well established in the truth that you have until now. How we understand calling goes a long way in determining where we will end up and how we will end up. There was so much rich conversation in our teaching team this week as we looked at this. Um, We talked about how this whole book, and we just haven't had time to go into it with this, hopefully we will in in the future, how Peter is recognizing Paul's writing in this, but is also giving his own spin or his own direction on that, that that this is one of these rare books of the Bible that is in, in obvious dialogue with other books and with other writers in the Bible. We see, we talk a lot about at Grace about how the Bible is in conversation with itself and how it invites us to be in conversation with it. This is a prime example of Peter in dialogue with a way with Paul giving his perspective on that. We also talked about the personality of Peter, who is writing this, where he is. What is he like at this point in his life where he's writing this letter? And there was so much rich conversation, but we 
we basically ended up with three critical questions that we felt were appropriate for our studies this week. Our studies as you do individually reflect on this and reflect on the questions in the learning guide. And then as you gather in your grace groups and you have time to talk about it further there. These questions are, how are we to understand what it means to be called? To what specifically are we being called to and for what reason? And then what does a life defined by a healthy understanding of calling look like? So let's look at the first of those questions. How are we to understand what it is to be called? Well, like last week, sometimes I think it helps if we understand what it doesn't mean. Because like I said, I, I, when I got into the ministry context, you could use ca- being called to justify anything from the choice of what ice cream you were going to buy that night to what kind of clothes you were going to wear. I mean, it was just, it was so commonplace as it lost its meaning. And so a few things like that. I don't think it's just, I don't think calling just means what we feel like we should do. I, I don't think that's what's being talked about here. I also don't think it's, it's something that is necessarily supernatural or spectacular. Oftentimes we want to make this a real religious word and, and associate with it religious type supernatural or spectacular feelings. As we read about this calling, yeah, there are specific, a few stories here and there of, a, of kind of a supernatural calling, but for the most part, it does seem rather commonplace, and, and it does seem um, rather ordinary. And while we can say um, that, that we understand calling personally, we have to understand that it's not specific to just one person oftentimes. Calling is most often used in a generality to a group. And while it may be personal, it's not necessarily exclusive with that. But the calling is usually given in a context of calling groups with that. And here's where we can go off on both sides that I experienced. Calling is not something that is either totally contrary to our desires. Like oftentimes, I would have people who would be like, man, I don't want to get too close to Jesus because he's going to call me to move missionary to Africa, (laughs) right? Like, I don't want to get too close to Jesus because he's going to call me to marry somebody I don't want to marry or to go somewhere I don't want to go, do something I don't want to do. And oftentimes, we, we have this misunderstanding about calling that if it's from God, it's going to be bad, It's going to be something we don't want to do, don't like, aren't equipped for. And that's one error we can make about calling. The other error is that it just totally affirms what we want to do anyway. Is that we just take our own affections, we take our own intentions, we take the, the things that we want to do, and we just assume, well, that's what God's calling me to. And so we make errors on both sides, that calling has to be incredibly hard, or it'll be just a cakewalk. If it's God's will, right, it'll just happen with that. And I don't think calling is is any of those things. As we look at the word, as we look at what it means, we look at how we use what we're going to find is that calling, if, if we could replace the word, maybe the best word we could replace it with would be an invitation. 
A calling is an invitation to us. It's something that is offered to us to draw us into something with that. We also see call is wrapped up with this idea of identity. Because in essence, the word is the same like, like I call some, I call Scott by his name Scott. There's an identification, a naming aspect of it. And so while this calling invites us, it also conforms us. It also puts an identity on us that we can choose to live in or not. And then the third thing is that calling also indicates a direction. That the calling, kind of like a GPS signal, is something that orients us. It's something that gives us a path. It's something that makes a way. It's something that, that gives us purpose and direction with that. And like I said, callings are personal, but they're not exclusive. Oftentimes, it, it involves being part of a community. And while callings are supernatural in their source because they come from God, they often play out in the very ordinary task of day-to-day, -day, raising kids, paying bills, showing up for the job, going to the gym. The calling permeates all of that with it. Ultimately, we have to understand that this call comes from, is sustained by, and will be completed by God. That it's not something we just gin up. It's something that comes to us. It originates outside of us. But it doesn't, that doesn't mean that we have to be, or that we're allowed to be, even passive in that invitation. An invitation invites a response. And we will respond. It's not like you're going to respond or not. The response, you're going to respond. The question is, are you going to respond positively or are you going to respond negatively? There's no fence sitting in response to an invitation. You either go or you don't. You either say yes and you engage, or even by ignoring it, you're saying no. So a call, in a way, necessitates a response with that. So if, that's, if that gives us a, some parameters and some imagination around what calling is, well then what specifically are we being called to, and for what reason? Well, this, is, this may have been where most of our conversation this week came around, is that it says very clearly that we're called so that we may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, that's some big church words there, y'all. <laughs> Partakers of the divine nature. What, what do we mean when we're talking about that? Well, again, let's, let's say what it's not. You're not being called to, to a moralism. You're not being called to an army or a political party. You're not being called as a slave or a soldier. This is most accurately reflected in Scripture when it talks about the adoption as sons and daughters, children of God is that we are called to literally become co-creators. We are called to have the very substance and nature of our being take on and reflect that of God, of Jesus, the firstborn, the heir. Is that this calling is not necessarily primarily to do, 
It is a calling to be someone. And that's a radically different way, I think, than I've ever understood calling before. I always took it as kind of a list of have-tos. You have to do this. You have to act this way, dress this way, associate with these kind of people, do these things, or, or you know, do this specific cat task. Go be a missionary here, or you know, give to this, or do that. Now, to be sure, those type of act- actions and activities happen. They do, and they're necessary. But unless they start with this understanding of participation, of being... They will be corrupt, toxic, and unprofitable with that. We have to understand also where it says, the one who called us by his own glory and excellence. We talked that probably a better translation of this is for his own glory and excellence. So while, yes, we are called to participate in Jesus' divine nature, in God's divine nature, we're called to be someone that we aren't before the calling. It is also not for our own ultimate benefit. Do we benefit? Yes, absolutely, and substantially and eternally. But the ultimate beneficiary is God. The ultimate beneficiary is the glory for the kingdom, for the purposes of God in that. And so we are called to be something that reflects, honors, gives glory, and bears witness to God. Another way to put this is we are called to live for something beyond ourselves. We are called to participate in something that is so beyond us. Now think about how this contrasts to the way we often approach. How I, I'll just say how I often approach it. Is about something that's for me, something that's good for me, something that's going to benefit me. I become a consumer of religious goods and services. I want more information for information's sake. I want, to, I want, I want that great teaching, right? So I can have more knowledge. I want that great worship experience with music so that I can have an emotional high. And those, those aren't bad things necessarily, but when they become the primary thing, Again, they're destructive and toxic. I am called to be who I am in Jesus for God's sake to do this. I am called to participate in this divine nature, in this experience of the relational, supernatural interaction of the Trinity for God's sake. Well, that's all nice and theological and sounds all great, but what is a life defined by a healthy understanding of calling look like? Let's bring it down. What does that practically mean? Walk out of here today. What does that look like as you go? Well, that's kind of our last thing that we're looking is to act upon it. It plays out in our actions and it plays out in every action ultimately. And again, this is kind of like the response to the invitation thing. You're going to respond. Somebody invites you, you're going to respond. You're either going to say no, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, or you're going to say yes. Well, here it is. You're, you're going to act on this one way or another. You're either going to act 
As Abby said, in accordance to the purpose, the box is going to be allowed to use, be used as a box. A refrigerator is a refrigerator. A car is a car. A hat is a hat. Or you're going to act contrary to that purpose. You're going to reject that purpose. You're going to try to do something different than that. But you are going to act. So what we have to do is rather, almost rather than start something new or change what we're doing, we have to start by examining what are we already doing. As we take time this week, this is part of our reflection, is to reflect on your life. Everything that you do, does that line up according with your calling? To be a divine partaker, a, a partaker of the divine nature? Does it line up according to your purpose to be someone who reflects and gives glory to God? Is, is that way we can, we can stop and we can examine what are our actions saying about what we believe about calling? Do we do things because they need to get done? Now, I'll talk to the parents here in a minute, for a minute, right? Just personally, one of the most frustrating things for me ever as a parent was when my kids would do the right thing for the wrong reason. I, because I just didn't know how to respond to that, right? Because you know it's wrong, right? You know doing something with a bad attitude or doing it for the wrong reason. Like, you know that's messed up, but they're doing what you told them to do. So it's hard to, it, it's hard to punish somebody or correct someone for doing the right thing, even though you know if they're doing the right thing for the wrong reason, that it, it spoils the whole thing. I really think maybe one of the major things that holds me back personally, that holds us back as a church, as a grace church, and that holds the church globally, universally back, is that oftentimes we're doing the right things, but with the wrong heart, with the wrong motivation. We're doing them not for God's glory, but for our own comfort or convenience or gain. We're doing them not to participate in the divine nature. We're not doing it so that we will be transformed into God's image, but that somehow we can convince God to be transformed into ours. And it is so critical that we understand and respond that instead of doing the things that we're called to do, all the things that Paul lists there, kindness, generosity, self-control, long-suffering, brotherly affection, unselfish love, that we're doing those things because we get to do them. We're invited to do it and we get to do those things. It becomes so commonplace, we lose the beauty and the grandeur of this idea. We get to participate in the divine nature of God through those things. It's not forced upon us. It's not demanded of us. It's not threat and bribe. It's not under, under the constraint of punishment. It is an invitation that we get to do those things. Yeah. 
That's how my understanding of calling has changed through this study and is being changed. Is that I am called and I get to do those things. That's freedom. Y'all, that's salvation. That's transformation. We get to do those things. If you were here uh, before we started our first worship set, we outlined where we're going as a church this next year through Genesis, John, and the grand apocalypse, how we're going to take time to study the Reformation and celebrate the seasons. Listen, y'all, we're not doing that because we have to. We're doing that because we get to. We get to do this. And we're not going to stand up here every Sunday and have a teacher who's put in hours and hours and hours of work to say words so that you can have more information. We're not going to invest in the learning guide every week so that you can have some more words to consume. We're not going to have our grace group leaders open their homes and make meals and communicate and love just so you can have some place to go one night a week. We are doing those things and all the other things that we do from local ministry to global ministry to opening this place to other ministries to do it, to launching new ministries, reaching out to the disabled and the Latino community, to giving our money, to doing those things. We're doing that so that we might prove that calling that we have been called to participate in the divine nature for the glory and excellence of God. That is why we are here. We get to do that. I hope, I hope that our attitudes and our interactions, and I know they do, will reflect that truth. I invite Ike and the team to come back up as we transition now into a time of worship, a time of coming to the table for communion, a time of giving our offering, a time of prayer. Listen, y'all had a, y'all could have done a lot of other things this weekend, right? Got a day off tomorrow, the weather's good. You could have been a lot of other places than being here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining with us in this time. I'm as excited as I have ever been about what's ahead for us this coming year. Thank you for sharing this table. This table represents so much of what we practice, what we believe here at Grace. We believe that the Lord Jesus is alive and present with us, that this is the table of the Lord Jesus, that when he said to remember him by taking the bread, which is his body, seeing it broken and shared, that we are honoring and respecting that table. That when we take the cup, which he held up on that last night, and said this is a sign of the new covenant, his own blood shed for us, 
that we are being transformed and transfigured more and more into his image. We believe that as we give, we are being changed. Our hearts are being opened and our hearts are following towards those who are in need to those who are participating in the work of Christ. We believe that by reflecting and worshiping, we are more and more who we are called to be. So thank you for participating in that and being here today. Our table is open to whoever is seeking the Lord Jesus. We don't dismiss by rows. You just come up as you feel led with that. And then once we finish up, we'll offer a benediction. Thank you.